morning, everyone. Can you please stand with us? team got defeated, but it was actually death that also got defeated, so <clears throat> that's good news. 
sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing Praise to the King of Kings, and you are my everything, and I will adore you. Northside Baptist Church. And yes, you are in the right place. Looks a little bit different than last week, doesn't it? Just a little bit. I think it looks really good. Uh, a huge shout out to our building and grounds team who's worked really, really hard over the last couple weeks. Uh, to some of the ladies who helped pick out the, the colors and the, the carpet and all that stuff, the flooring, I appreciate that very much. Uh, it looks really, really good. And my favorite part Listen really carefully. You don't hear it, do you? I can now preach without having to worry about this one spot that always made a really loud, annoying noise. So uh, really, really excited about that. Uh, so thank you so much to everybody who has been involved in kind of the transforming uh, of this building. It is much appreciated. Well, good morning. I know we have several visitors with us this morning. We are so thankful to have you. You are our guest, uh, and, and we're just honored that you are here with us. Um, inside the bulletin is not only some information about our church, um, some of our activities and our ministries, um, but also a place for you to fill out some information about yourself. I would really appreciate if you would just take a couple minutes 
to fill this out. And there is a box out there in the foyer. You can put it in that box. You'll see it as soon as you walk out there. Or you can just hand it to me or Pastor BJ uh, on your way out. It's just a, it's a way, to be honest, for me to help remember your name, uh, but also for us just to, uh, to reach out to you and just to thank you for, for coming and, and any way that we can help you, we want to be able uh, to do that. Um, let me make one more announcement that's really, really important to me and I believe really, really important to you. Today marks eight years that Pastor BJ has been at Northside. So he has been here for eight years. And so uh, I believe he knows how much you love him, but if it's been a while since you told him, make sure you tell BJ how much you love him, how much you appreciate him. And man, he has been an incredible blessing to me over this, this past year and three months in the midst of COVID. He, he, has, he has been a rock, and uh, I'm so thankful for that, and he, he means the world to me, and I'm, I'm just so thankful for he and his family. Well, if you will look in the bulletin, you will know that our, uh, our goal for Annie Armstrong is $4,500, and we have already raised $4,390, and we still have two weeks left to give this morning and next week, so we're going to show a video in just a second, but if you haven't given yet, Please don't look at that and say, oh, wow, we've almost met our goal. I don't have to give now. There are missionaries who are counting on us to sacrificially, financially support them in the work that they're doing. So if you haven't given yet, but you are already planning on giving, go ahead and give, and let's just blow that goal out of the water, and, and let's make a difference for the kingdom of God. We do have a video for you this morning, so check this out. New Orleans East has been home for me since... 1989. This has been a place that I've grew up in. I've grown to love over the course of my life. It's a high population of low-income families, a lot of single moms in the area, a lot of young people as well. You have a lot of kids actually growing up in this community, seeing drug use, seeing prostitution. So in our desire to plant in this community, we wanted to be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope. So we started offering Level Up Fitness Camp. We bring in outside coaches from different gyms. They come in and they take the kids for about an hour and just teach them basic general exercise. The church should be that place where people can go and not only get that spiritual connection, but also the resources for all other aspects of wellness. We use our fitness camp to teach our kids spiritual and biblical concepts. We introduce them to the church, help them continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. When people give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, it allows churches like our church to continue to give back. We wouldn't be existent in this community if we didn't have partners and people pouring in. We're here to try to catch that kid at an early level and just teach them that if you get plugged in with Christ, you get plugged in with the church, Christ can take a broken person and restore them regardless of how broken you are or what state of life you're in. Pray, we'll worship together some more. Father, thank you for being a God who heals the brokenhearted. You draw near to the brokenhearted. Lord, there is brokenness even in this room this morning. There is brokenness here in Noonan and Coweta County. There is brokenness all across America and the world. And Lord, there are, there are some of our missionaries who are in hard, difficult, challenging places. Some of them are in the unreached places, and they're unreached because they're hard to reach. Father, sustain those missionaries. Strengthen them. May they draw their, their hope from the living Christ. May they know, God, that you are at work, that you are transforming lives. May they be reminded that there is power in the blood. The blood of Jesus saves and changes hearts and lives. And Father, this morning you can save right now. Maybe somebody is with us who has never believed, somebody watching online who's never given their life to Jesus. Oh, may today be a day of salvation. May today be a day of salvation. Thank you for the blood. There is power in that blood. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in high school, I had a guy named Gary Stansberry, and he played guitar, and we always sang, there is power in the blood. And when he sang it, 
he said there's power, right? Because he believed there's power in the blood. We're going to sing there's power in the blood. You can't sing there's power in the blood. You got to sing there's power in the blood or my high school days, you're just going to destroy it right now. All right. So let's stand and let's worship together. Be 
I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned, then I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything, now I gladly own him as my king, now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great, grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that grew salvation's plan, oh, the grace that brought it down to man, oh, the mighty God that God did stand at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free, pardon there was multiplied to me, there my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. continue our series titled The Seven Sayings from the Cross. This is the fourth statement that Jesus makes. Matthew 27 verses 45 through 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why? Have you forsaken me? You may be seated. Jesus utters, says the fourth of seven sayings from the cross. Matthew and Mark both record this in their Gospels. And they actually record for us the Aramaic. And so I was looking over my notes last night and just trying to listen to a couple different ways that this phrase is pronounced and seems like everybody says it a little bit differently. And so I was just listening to it and Malachi walks in the room and about the time he walks in the room, I'm practicing it out loud how to say this phrase. And uh, he just looks up at me and he says, I don't get it. <laughs> and I chuckled for a moment and then went back to practicing it and then he started practicing it. And I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm saying it like one of my Bible translations says it when I listen to it. And, and then he walks out of the room, and I just stopped, and I thought about his statement. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Malachi was right. I don't get it. I don't get it. This is one of those statements in Scripture that yes, we understand what he's saying, but we really fully don't understand 
what he's saying. The story is told that Martin Luther was studying this text one day. For hours, he sat and stared at the text. He said nothing. He wrote nothing, but silently pondered these words of Jesus from the cross. Suddenly, he stood up and exclaimed, God forsaken by God, how can it be? Charles Wesley wrote these words, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? I've, I've studied this text this week, and I'm going to try my best to explain it to you, but understand, I still don't get it. How God could forsake God for my sins. For my sins. I want you to, to notice two things here. What we've been doing the last couple of weeks is we've been asking, what does Jesus say? And then, and then so what? This morning we're going to focus primarily on what does Jesus say. Because in this, as we try to understand it, we see the so what. But I want to draw your attention to two things. Number one, I want you to notice the darkness. The darkness. Verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. In Mark 15, verse 25, we read this. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Now you have to understand, the way we keep time and the way the Jewish people in Jesus' day kept time is very different. For one, they just kept time differently. For two, they didn't have watches that they wore on their wrist and clocks on their stoves, and, 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 and timers on their, watch, on their phones and all of this stuff. They didn't have that. So they were estimating their time. They can't be precise as, as we can be. But in the way they calculate it, if you've never heard this before, to help make sense of it, their day began at 6 o'clock. At 6 o'clock. That's when their day began. So when Mark says the third hour Jesus was crucified, that's 9 a.m., 9 a.m., which is different than ours. We would think, right, 6 a.m. would be six hours from midnight. But it's actually the third hour is 9 a.m., right? And then it says this. Matthew says this. Now, from the sixth hour, so that would be noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. That would be around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So Jesus has been on the cross for three hours when darkness covers the land. And Matthew is drawing our attention to that darkness. He doesn't want you to skip over this. Certainly those at the foot of the cross would have noticed it. He wants you to understand that there was darkness. C.A. Spurgeon writes, it was midnight at midday. Midnight at midday. Now listen, darkness is uh, not a concept that you and I need to be taught. We don't teach our children to be afraid of the dark. They're just afraid of the dark. Right When you are in real darkness, and some of you have been in real darkness before, when you're in real darkness, you feel disoriented. You feel unprotected. You are alone. Somebody could be as close to me as this mic stand, and yet when it is pitch black, you feel alone. So it's disorienting. Listen, folks, when we leave here today, 11.30, 11.45, it's not going to be dark outside, is it? And if it is, Pitch black when you walk outside at midnight, something's wrong. Something different is happening that is not normal. Now, some have argued it was a solar eclipse. A solar eclipse led to this darkness that covered the land. But Passover was held at a time of a full moon. So a solar eclipse is out. So there was darkness. Why is there darkness for three hours? Well, Matthew wants us to understand. Darkness in Scripture, is often seen as a cosmic sign of God's judgment. In this case, there's darkness here because God is judging, and His judgment is being poured out on His Son. Think back to the Old Testament. Think back to the people of God, Israel, in Egypt. How many plagues does God bring against Egypt? How many? Ten. There's ten plagues, right? We all know the tenth one. The tenth one, right, is the firstborn son that is being killed. So the Israelites, they take the blood of the lamb, spread it over the doorpost, and, and so the angel of death does not touch that house. Their firstborn lives. But the Egyptians, there's no blood on their doorpost, so the, the angel comes and the firstborn dies. 
What is the plague that precedes the tenth plague? It's darkness for three days. The darkness of three days is going to give way to the firstborn sons of the Egyptians being killed because of the judgment of God. William Hendrickson writes, The darkness meant judgment. The judgment of God upon our sins. His wrath, as it were, burning itself out into the very heart of Jesus so that he, as our substitute, suffered most intense agony, indescribable woe, terrible isolation, or forsakenness. And in the midst of this darkness, Jesus lifts up this heart-rending cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus said he's the light of the world. So why is this day for three hours shrouded in darkness? And the answer is because God is judging. The judgment of God is being poured out at this moment. Who is he judging? Notice the cry of Jesus. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry that startles us. It staggers us. Jesus speaks it in Aramaic, the common language of the day. This is a, a quote from Psalm 22.1. So one thing Jesus is doing is he is identifying himself as the righteous sufferer of that psalm, Psalm 22.1. This cry may be the most heart-wrenching of all cries in the Bible. Jesus, in this moment, will cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now listen, every one of us in this room, at some point, if we're honest, have asked that question in one form or another. God, have you forsaken me? God, do you not see what's going on in my life? Where are you, God? God, have you forgotten about me? Why me, God? And often, when we ask that question, there's doubt. We are doubting. God, where are you? What, what is going on? But understand, when Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a cry of distress, but not of distrust. Jesus is not doubting his Father in heaven right now. He understands this is the plan. It was the plan all along. But he is in distress. He's in distress. So he says, my God, my God. He doesn't call him Father. The only time when he's praying, he doesn't call him Father. But notice what he says, my God. That word my is significant. My wife's name is, is Ryan. And if I say to you, hey, this is Ryan, that's one thing. But if I say this is my Ryan, it takes it to a whole other level, doesn't it? She's mine. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me forsaken listen to what that greek word means it means to desert or forsake a person to abandon utterly forsake to turn away from when jesus asked this question my god my god why have you forsaken me it's not because jesus feels he has this feeling of being forsaken like something just is off here no he knows in this moment He's being forsaken. That God has turned his back on him, if you will. Jesus suffers an unbelievable amount of pain. He's already been on the cross for three hours when darkness covers the land. Another three hours passes before he cries this out. Listen, from all indication, Jesus is suffering physically and he never cries out. But the moment, the moment, he knows that God has forsaken him. He cries out to his father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I just want you to think about that for a moment. Let's go back to the beginning of the Gospels. The beginning of Jesus Christ's ministry. And how does it begin? He's baptized, and then he hears these words, right? This is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am what? Well pleased. Like, that's how it gets started. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And you fast forward three years, and now Jesus is on the cross, forsaken by the one who said, this is my son, 
whom I am well pleased. What is happening here? Why is God abandoning his son? And why does Jesus cry out? I believe Jesus cries out in agony because for the first time, Jesus is experiencing something that he has never experienced before. And that is the fellowship with his father has just been separated. Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. He has existed for all eternity with the Father. They had no beginning, and they have always had this fellowship. And in this moment, understand, the Trinity is not torn apart here. That's not what's taking place. But what's happening is the fellowship that the Son has always experienced with the Father at this moment has now been separated. Jesus has been separated from the Father. Why? Why? Jesus asked the same question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Church, why would God the Father forsake his son? Why does Jesus in this moment feel forsaken? There is only one answer. There is only one answer. And the answer is simply this. Because Jesus Christ in this moment is standing in your place. He is standing in your place. He is standing in our stead. Our sins and your sins have been placed upon him. There is no other reason for the Father to forsake the Son. He has never forsaken him yet up to this point. So why all of a sudden does Jesus feel forsaken? It's because he is taking our sins. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was without sin. Jesus was without rebellion. Jesus was without blemish. He didn't deserve this wrath and this punishment. And the only answer is Jesus Christ took your place. He took your place. This is the glory of the cross that Jesus Christ took your place. He is your substitute. He became your sin, right? He became sin for us. And the result of this was being forsaken by God. Scripture is clear. And these are going to be on the screen because I got, I got several of them. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Corinthians 15.3 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 1 John 4, 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What is God doing on the cross? He is judging sin. He is dealing with sin. And his judgment is being poured out upon his son. The judgment is poured out upon his son. But wait. We know what the Bible says about Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's on the screen. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know sin. Why is he dealing with sin? Why is God's judgment being poured out upon him? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We also know from Scripture that God is holy. God will not look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. So if God can't look upon sin because he is holy, and Jesus is dying on the cross for our sins, my iniquity is laid upon him, then God has no other choice but to abandon his son in this moment. He has no other choice but to look away from his son because his son is bearing not just my sin from today, but all of my sin that I will ever commit and all of your sin that you will ever commit and the world's sin in all of that is being poured out upon Jesus at this moment in the darkness. And so God forsakes his son. On the cross, this is going to be on the screen, on the cross, my sin is transferred to Christ. 
He then is forsaken by God. And then he receives the penalty of sin, which is death. See, the reality is you can't transfer sin without also transferring the penalty of sin. And what is the penalty of sin? It's death. For the wages of sin is death. Now, we immediately think physical death. That's not, that's not the case. Though we will die, the wages of our sin is not a physical death. Let's go back again to the garden. Let's go way back to the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve have this fellowship, this communion with God. And listen to what God says to them. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely what? Die. You shall surely what? Did they die physically in that moment? No. They will die physically. But when they eat of the fruit, some death takes place in them. Verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent them out from the garden of Eden. The wages of sin is a spiritual death. The wages of sin is simply this. You are separated from God, your creator. You are separated from him. That's what sin does. It separates us from God. So when Adam and Eve sin, they must leave the presence of God because he's holy and sin cannot be in the presence of a holy, just God. And so they leave. They're out. He cast them away. And then we read this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. It says that they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. What is the ultimate punishment of eternal destruction? It is to be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Look, hell is many things. It's a place of darkness and, and a fire that is never quenched and weeping and wailing. But you know what hell ultimately is? It is being separated from God forever and ever and ever. That's hell. And that is what you and I deserve. I deserve the judgment of God. What Jesus endured on the cross should have been mine. I should have paid for that. In hell, for all eternity, I deserve to be forsaken. God would be right if he looked at me and said, Aaron, I'm done with you. You're forsaken. No more fellowship. No more relationship. I'm a sinner. That's what I deserve. I deserve to be separated from the presence of God. But on the cross, Jesus took my sin. And he paid my penalty, which is death. And he drank the cup of God's wrath dry. Every ounce of God's wrath that should have been poured out upon me was poured out upon Jesus on the cross. John MacArthur writes, Jesus suffered the eternal hell of all the people through human history who would be saved. He bore all their eternal punishments together and he did it in three hours. A.W. Pink writes, he entered the awful darkness that I might walk in the light. He drank the cup of woe that I might drink the cup of joy. He was forsaken that I might be forgiven. The judgment that should have fallen on us fell instead on Jesus. God will never forsake me because he forsook his son on the cross. And if I am in Christ, then I will never be forsaken. Jesus suffered and died for your sins. Hear me. He suffered and he died for your sins. He was forsaken, not because of anything he did, but because of your sins. He experienced the wrath of God so that your sins might be forgiven. Church, hear me. God the Father loves sinners. Amen? He loves sinners. And it's for sinners that Jesus died, sinners like me. And we need to understand that. We need to be reminded that God the Father loves sinners. He loves sinners. God the Father loves the prostitute. He loves her. But he does not love prostitution. That does not glorify him. But he sent his son to die for those who were enslaved in that lifestyle so that they might be set free. God loves the drug addict. God loves the alcoholic. But God doesn't love those sins. His son died for those things. Church, God loves the homosexual. He loves the homosexual. 
but he does not love the lifestyle of homosexuality. But he loves people. And he sent his son Jesus to show us his love for us. But you cannot talk about the love of God without also talking about the wrath of God. And on the cross, we see the wrath of God poured out for sins. God loves you. God loves the gossiper. But he doesn't love gossip. Right? God, we can, we can start listening to all these sins that, that maybe we struggle with. Sins in our life that we need to confess. Our men's ministry uh, yesterday met, and man, we had a great turnout, and it was really encouraging, great discussion. And one thing he talked about on the video is how sometimes the church has taken these, these people who are struggling with sins, who've been beat up by sin, who don't look like us or act like us or, or dress like us, right? And he, he loves them. And sometimes the church, we have failed to love them. We kind of push them out. I had um, lunch this week with Richard Bumpers. Richard Bumpers uh, oversees our evangelism for the West Central region. And you would think somebody who oversees evangelism has a heart for evangelism. He and I went out uh, Wednesday for lunch, and we're sitting there, and our waitress walks up, and uh, look, our waitress doesn't look like somebody you would normally see in, in church. Tattoos all, all over. And, uh, and Richard said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use her tattoos as a way to have a conversation with her about the gospel. So he just began to ask her about uh, these tattoos and what they meant. And through that, right, begin to share Christ with her. Um, a couple things came out of that for me. One is a reminder that everybody needs Jesus, no matter what they look like. It's not our place to determine who we should tell. And number two is how often I fail to tell other people about Jesus. I looked at Richard. I said, man, does this come easy to you? Because it doesn't to me. I said, I'm an introvert. When a waitress walks up to me, I don't care who you are. I'm just not really comfortable to start talking about anything. You all know me by now. I'm, I get up here and preach, and I don't know why God called me to preach, because I'm quiet most other times. I'm usually the quietest person in the room a lot of the times. And, and he just said, yes, but you just you got to be intentional, and you got to get out of the, the comfort, right? But, but we have to tell people about Jesus because we believe in the good news of the gospel. We believe there is power in the blood, amen? There's power in the blood that saves us from our sins. But as we close, I want to challenge us a little bit about our sins. If this is what it took to forgive sin, how wicked must sin be? Church, if this is what it took for my sin to be forgiven, that the Son of God who knew no sin must die in my place, bearing the wrath of God for me, how wicked must sin be? C.A. Spurgeon said, what manner of people ought we to be? What manner of people ought we to be? What measure of love ought we to return to one who bore the utmost penalty? So I want you to hear two things this morning. Number one, I want you to hear that God loves you. If you came in and you're still dealing with your sins and, and you've never given your life to Jesus, listen, Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. He bore the wrath of God for you. He died in your place so that you could confess your sin, repent of your sin, take hold of the name of Jesus, and his righteousness could be given to you. There is hope for you. There's power in the blood. But I also want to speak to those who came in and maybe you're not taking your sin as serious as you ought to. I'm going to quote from Spurgeon. It's out of his book, Christ's Words from the Cross. And it's a lengthy, lengthy quote, but it really just hit me. He said, let us abhor the sin which brought such agony upon our beloved Lord. What an accursed thing is sin which crucified the Lord Jesus. Do you laugh at it? Will you go and spend an evening to see a mimic performance of it? Do you roll sin under your tongue as a sweet morsel and then come to God's house on the Lord's Day morning and think to worship Him? Worship Him? Worship Him with sin indulged in your breast? Worship Him with sin loved and pampered in your life? Oh, sirs, if I had a dear brother who had been murdered... 
What would you think of me if I valued the knife which had been crimsoned with his blood? If I made a friend of the murderer and daily consorted with the assassin who drove the dagger into my brother's heart, surely I too must be an accomplice in the crime. Sin murdered Christ. Will you be a friend to it? Sin pierced the heart of the incarnate God. Can you love it? Oh, that there was an abyss as deep as Christ's misery, that I might at once hurl this dagger of sin into its depths, whence it might never be brought to light again. Be gone, O sin. Thou art banished from the heart where Jesus reigns. Be gone, for thou hast crucified my Lord and made him cry, Why hast thou forsaken me? O my hearers, if you do but know yourselves and know the love of Christ, you would each one vow that you would harbor sin no longer. You would be indignant at sin and you would cry, The dearest idol I have known, whate'er that idol be, Lord, I will tear it from its throne and I will worship only thee. Listen, where Jesus Christ reigns, sin cannot be welcomed to live there. This is what the Father has done for us. This is what Jesus Christ endured for us so that we might be set free from sin and the penalty of sin. I praise God that through Jesus Christ, I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Amen? And I praise God that I have been delivered from the power of sin. Amen? And one day, one day, one glorious day, we will all be delivered from the presence of sin. But until that day, sin is constantly around us and in us. And let us be a people who, when we look to the cross... See the one who died for us. Let us see that he died for our sin. And let us be a people who begins to hate the sin that is within us so that we put it to death. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? In just a moment, we're going to sing a song together. We'll sing just a couple verses. We do this just to give you a chance to kind of reflect upon the message, to just spend some time in prayer let me just ask you this morning, do you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you know him? Have you confessed him? Have you confessed your sinfulness and believed upon Jesus Christ that he died for you and was raised for you? Have you believed in the name of Jesus? If not, will you do that right now? All you have to pray, there's no magical prayer. You just pray, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Save me. A sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, the Lord and Savior of my life. If you've prayed that prayer, or if you are uncertain that you have a relationship with Jesus, will you just come see me after the service? See Pastor BJ. Just grab somebody and say, hey, look, I, I don't know if I know Jesus. Will you help me? Will you make sure I understand who Christ is? I want a relationship with him. And then, brothers and sisters, as we draw near to Easter, just a couple weeks away, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, that he is alive. Because he is alive, sin no longer rules and reigns in our hearts. So this morning, right where you are, will you be honest with God? Will you say, Spirit of God, show me my sin? And to the darkest places of my life where sin may be hidden, will you show it to me? And then I want to confess it. Will you deliver me from it? I turn from it right now. Father, hear the cries of your people. This morning we know that we will not be forsaken because Jesus was forsaken. So Father, our struggle this morning isn't, is God with me? Does he strengthen me? Is he sustaining me? Is he there? No, we know, God, you're here. Lord, but, but maybe we're struggling with sin or struggling with, with what's going on in our life. So God, will you just... Just make your, your presence felt this morning, right now, convicting hearts, drawing us closer to you. Speak, move, transform hearts and lives, we pray. As we continue to think about the cross, looking to the cross, thank you, God. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have through Jesus Christ. We ask all this in Jesus' name.
Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's sing a couple verses of this song together. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. I want to present uh, a couple to you. They're coming this morning because they want to join Northside uh, in the work that God is doing here. So uh, last Sunday after church, I had a chance to meet with Lenny and Teresa. We all stand. Let's have you stand right there. This is Lenny and Teresa Livingston. And so they're coming to join Northside Baptist Church. We, we just let them know how excited you are for that. Awesome. Y'all can be seated. So we... Just got to sit in my office last week and just got to hear their story. And I love hearing people's stories and of how God has changed them and transformed them. And so Lenny and Teresa both have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is Lord and Savior of their life. They have followed Him in believers' baptism. Uh, and, and they're excited about what God's doing here in Northside. And they are excited to be uh, a part of that. So they're coming by statement, statement of faith. And so that's how they join uh, with us. And so again, just so excited about that. And listen, I know we have a lot of people who you've been visiting with us and maybe you've been thinking and praying uh, about membership. Can I just give uh, a really, really strong plug, I think, for the kind of church that Northside is. Curtis and Anne have been here 18 years. Pastor BJ and his family has been here eight years. The previous pastor, Brian Carroll, was here for over 10 years. I think one strong indicator of the kind of church you have is how long the staff stays. If it's a good church, they don't want to leave unless God clearly moves them. Northside is an incredible church. And if you've been thinking and praying about membership and joining and what that looks like, would you just reach out to me, email me, call me, let's set up a time uh, where, where we can talk and would love to, to share more of that with you. We are a family of God and we are to to, to work together, uh, help each other, partner with one another. And so we're excited to have uh, Lenny and Teresa with us, and I know they are excited to be part of that. Make sure you pay attention to the bulletin. There is all kinds of good information, some announcements that are in there for the first time, so you want to read through that, uh, set your calendar for that. Easter service, our Easter service is Easter weekend. Pay attention to that. We have a Good Friday service, April, uh, April 2nd at 7 p.m., our sunrise service, April 4th at 7 a.m., and then Easter service, uh, we'll have it 10.30. So we're not going to have Sunday school that morning, but we'll have a sunrise service, weather pending, obviously, and then we'll gather in here at 10.30. want to also draw your attention to our cake auction. This is a lot of fun. It's actually, the, the date is May 2nd. That's not in here. We'll have that in there for next week. You have to sign up by April 25th, and the cake auction is May 2nd um, on that Sunday night. And So make sure you put all of that stuff in your calendars. It's been a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. When you leave here, understand, talked about this in Sunday school this morning, the class I went to, that, that God goes with you, right? He is all present. And so the presence of God leaves you. And no matter what you go through this week, you will never, ever be forsaken. Because Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You will never be forsaken. If you'll stand, let's close with a word of prayer. Our deacon of the week is Mr. Kerry Beard. He's going to come and close us with a word of prayer.
Stay with me. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love and grace, Your plan of salvation, the price that You paid to get rid of our sins. Lord, just ask that You be with us and guide us in the way that we need to go, that we would be in Your will, we would be obedient to You, and faithful in serving You in whatever way You call us, Lord. Just give us the strength and the courage and the wisdom that we need to be in your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.